in our hearts and our heads since we were little children, isn't it? Uh, in fact, it's likely one of the first songs you ever learned. Uh, my guess is, if we were to stand up and sing it right now, that you wouldn't even need the words on the screen. You'd be able to sing the entire song. We didn't know it back then, but when we were singing that song as children, we were singing some pretty good theology. The words say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Since we were little children, we've been taught that, haven't we? Since we were little children, we've been taught that I am weak, and He is strong. But somewhere along the way, we've stopped singing that song. And somewhere along the way, we've likely forgotten that childhood lesson. That our weakest moments can become our strongest moments. Scripture tells us that over and over. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's a good verse. Those are good verses to quote. And you see them at football games. And you, athletes put Philippians 4.13 on the, the stuff on their face, the, the black marks on their face. And And they'll write it on their cleats. And we like to quote that verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Those are great verses to quote. But my question is this. Are they true? There's an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song that sums it up best. It says, We can only know the power that he holds when we start to see how deeply our weakness goes. His strength in us begins where ours comes to an end. He hears our humble cry and proves again. Listen to the verse. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Raised in His power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is perfect. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we're not as strong as we think we are. Sometimes we need to be reminded we're not as strong as we pretend to be. That's why we're starting this new series, I Am Weak, But He Is Strong. During the month of October, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. You want to go ahead and open your Bibles. But we're going to do an expositional study of those two chapters during the month of October. 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. And here's what we're going to learn. I want you to listen to what we're going to learn as we look at those two chapters. We're going to learn that the insufficiency of man reveals the total sufficiency of God. I want you to hear that again because I'm going to ask you to say it with me. In this series, we are going to learn that the insufficiency of man reveals the total sufficiency of God. Would you say that out loud with me? The insufficiency of man reveals the total sufficiency of God. Or to put it another way, little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. And so let's look at the the four sermons we're going to be looking at, four messages in this series. Week one today, we'll be talking about fragile pots. Week two, problems, problems. Anybody got any of those? 
talk about that. Problems, problems. And then week three, earthly tent, heavenly home. And then in week four, living with the end in mind. And we'll talk about, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be talking about living with the end in mind. So that's where we're going during the month of October. If you don't have your Bibles open already, let's go ahead and open them. This time we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first six verses. I'd like to just do a little bit different today. Would you stand and honor God's Word as we read Scripture together? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. It's awful easy to do sometimes, isn't it? To lose heart, get discouraged. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, we, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, I'm not going to change my message simply to please my audience. Verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, little g, God, the little g God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6 is an important verse. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. He said that in Genesis chapter 1. For God who said in Genesis chapter 1, as He was creating everything, He said, let light shine out of darkness. Paul says, the same God, back in Genesis 1, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts. You might want to underline that. Made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And all God's people said... Amen. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm grateful for this scripture, for what it has taught me, and may you, by the Holy Spirit, today teach others. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Would you be seated? Have you ever had one of those moments where your mind finished the sentence before the person finished speaking? It can get you in trouble sometimes. Happens to me from time to time. My, my mind, as someone is speaking, my mind immediately goes to the other half of the sentence, and, and in my mind, I'm finishing what they're saying before they finish saying it. Uh, just happened to me just yesterday, as a matter of fact. We were getting ready for our church directory, and you know, all the kids were home, and it, you know how it is trying to get everybody ready to go take the picture and all that kind of thing. So I thought I'd help out, and I told Lisa I would iron Jonathan's pants, and so I did that. And I can iron. That's one of the few things I can do, but I can iron. And so I was ironing his pants, and, and I noticed that his pants were size 30 waist, 32 length. And I picked him up, and I looked at him. About that time, Lisa walked in the kitchen, and I said, You know, I think this is the size I wore when we got married. Now, I don't wear that size anymore. She, she reminded me, she said, You've shrunk. She said, Because you no longer wear size 32 length. You wear size 30. And we're not going to talk about the waist, but it, it expanded, okay? 
And so I was, I was bemoaning the fact that things aren't what they used to be. I was bemoaning the fact that I can't wear what I used to wear. And then Lisa, trying to encourage me, she said this, Honey, I think you look like you're in great shape. And in my mind, in that instant, I put a period there. I did. I promise you, I did. When she said, Honey, I think you look like you're in great shape. In that instant, I put a period there, and I started feeling pretty good about myself. I started being encouraged all right, I, I, all right, you know, it's, you know how it is, guys. You know, you just, my, 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 my lady thinks I look pretty good, so I, I'm, I'm good with that. And problem is, Lisa didn't put a period there. <laughs> Here's what Lisa said. I'll finish the sentence. She said, honey, I think you look like you're in great shape for an elderly man. <laughs> I wish you could have seen the face I made at her when she told me that. I was like, what? Lisa must be related to the Apostle Paul, or maybe Paul's related to Lisa. I don't know what it is, but they both have this ability. Because Paul in verse 7, he starts out in verse 7, and there's a great place to put a period. In verse 6, remember, he's telling us what we have, that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. It'd be a great place right there to put a period. We have this treasure, period. If he put a period there, then we could feel really good about ourselves. If he put a period there, we could boast about what we have. If, if he put a period there, we could look down on those who are not as fortunate as us. If he put a period there, we could marvel at what God has done, that the God who said, let there be light, has put his light in our life, and we have this treasure. If he had put a period there, it would have been awesome. But Paul was a lot like Lisa. He didn't put a period there. He continued his sentence, and it really changed the sentence. Because he goes on to say, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's an amazing statement when you think about it. I mean, how do you put into words what happens when the Spirit of the living God comes to live inside you? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul described it this way. We have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about the meshing of the spiritual and the physical. The spiritual, we have this treasure, God's light within us, Jesus living in us. We have this treasure, we, the spiritual, but meshing with the physical, the treasure in jars of clay. But what does it mean? What does it mean for your life and for mine? I'm going to suggest to you two things as we kind of take this text apart. First of all, I think it means that we should never take for granted what God has given us. The reality of the Christian life is that every believer is in a possession of a treasure given to them by God. And again, what is that treasure? He describes it for us in verse 6. The treasure is the gift of salvation. The privilege of not just knowing about God, but knowing Him personally. In fact, this is such a treasure that Jesus describes it in Matthew 13 as finding a pearl of great price. It's a treasure. Salvation, knowing Christ, is a treasure. And Paul shared this same idea that, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's an amazing statement when you understand Paul's life because on the day he was saved, the very day he was saved, his new Christian friends were afraid of him and wanted nothing to do with him. 
and his fellow Jews wanted to kill him. That was the first day he started walking with Jesus. Very first day he started walking with Jesus. People were not clapping because he was baptized. Very first day he started walking with Jesus, his fellow new Christians didn't want anything to do with him, and his fellow Jews wanted to kill him. He finally decides to go on a missionary journey, his very first missionary journey. He was ridiculed, he was run out of town, he was stoned on his first missionary journey. On his second missionary journey, he was jailed, he was beaten, he was harassed in nearly every city he went into. And yet, after all of that, and even more, Paul said, the best way I can describe knowing Christ, well, it's like a treasure in jars of clay. May I ask you, can you say that? Or, or maybe I should ask it this way. Can you still say that? Because I know when you first get saved, the first day, the first week, the first month, you get saved, it is like a treasure, isn't it? First time when, you, when you're first saved and, and you just come to know Christ, it is like a treasure. There's this excitement, there's this joy, there's, there's this feeling. But the question is, can you still say that? In spite of the problems you're having, in spite of the frustrations you're experiencing, in spite of the emptiness in your life right now or the problems in your life, can you say, my relationship with Jesus Christ, in spite of everything going on around me, my relationship with Jesus Christ is something I prize like a treasure. That's what Paul was saying in this verse. Literally, that's what he was saying. For many of you who have walked with Christ for many years, it may be that you would say, Pastor, if I'm honest, that which I once treasured has lost its luster. You know, the makers of the iPhone are very smart people, not just because they, they make an iPhone, but they're very smart people because they realize that we are people who lose interest in what we have, that we want something better, we want something newer, we want something the next big thing. That, that's why we had an iPhone 4, and then we had a 5, and then we had a 6, and then we had a 6S, and now we're up, I think, to 7. I, is, there, is it 7 the limit right now? I've lost track. Is 7 the limit? Is iPhone 7? Rob, is 7 the limit? I know you're the man. All right. Why is it that, that we... And I'm, I'm, this is a 6, so, you know, I gave up my 4 and my 5, so I'm preaching to the choir right now, okay? So, so why is it that something like this... Why is it that it loses its luster? Because there's something in us like that, isn't there? We get used to it. It just becomes, is there something else? Something better? We, that which we once tread, I mean, when I first got it, it was like, dude, I got an iPhone 6. And that which we once treasure loses its luster. The problem is, when it's not an iPhone, but when it's your relationship with the Lord. And Paul says this. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. You say, Pastor, I don't understand. I, I've taken for granted what, what I have, but I really don't know what the answer is. I really don't know what to do about it. Maybe the answer is found in the second half of verse 7. Because Paul tells us, first of all, that we have this treasure. The second thing that he tells us is that we have this treasure in a weak container. Look how he describes it in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. And here's the reason. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. Now, he did not say that we have a treasure of gold in a container of silver. That would make sense. He said, we have the greatest of all treasures and the poorest of all containers. It's amazing when you think about it. The greatest of all treasures and the poorest of all containers. Now, maybe this will help you. This is, Kelly, do you recognize this? Kelly didn't know I was going to bring this. This, what would you call this, Kelly? A pot, okay, or a bowl, okay. Now, do you remember when you made this? When? Third or fourth grade, all right. I want you to imagine this precious little blonde-headed girl, chubby little hands, making this clay pot or bowl. There's a little fish on it right here. You can't see it from where you are. There's a little fish right here. Kelly did a pretty good job. She did a really good job on it. Um, in fact, your, your child probably made one of, one of these two in school, right? I, don't, I doubt it's as good as this one, but your child... <laughs> your child didn't do as good as my child, but I'm sure they made one too. In reality, all this is is just clay pot. You know, it's, that's all it is. It's just clay fashioned by my daughter shaped by her. It's just clay, little pot thing there. But you need to know something about this little clay pot. It, it sits on our dresser, and my wife puts her rings in it. That which is common clay pot holds a great treasure. Her wedding rings go in here. Her other rings go in here. Just common clay pot, but it holds a great treasure. And so do you, if you know Jesus. You're just a common clay pot. But if you know Jesus, you have an incredible treasure inside. So, Pastor, okay, I help me understand, though, about this wheat container. What, what does it mean that, that we are jars of clay? Well, there's two things that I think he was referring to when he referred to our lives as jars of clay. First of all, he spoke of our physical lives. When he says we have this treasure in jars of clay, I believe he was talking, first of all, about our physical lives. It is a reminder for you and for me that we are fragile, decaying, temporary people. One day, we're standing in strength. The next day, we're cut down. I see that nearly every week of my life as a pastor at Mount Airy. Every week of my life, I'm reminded of people as I go into hospitals and into nursing homes and do funerals. Every week of my life, as I deal with families who are grieving and hurting and worried and all of those, every week of my life, I'm reminded that we are simply clay jars. Physically, our lives are temporary. We're fragile. That's one of the things he had in mind when he says we have this treasure in jars of clay. I believe he was talking about the physical part of our lives. But not only was he talking about our physical lives, I think he also was speaking about our abilities and our talents. You see, what we have to offer God is nothing more valuable than a common clay jar. We have this treasure, but it's in jars of clay. What I have to offer God, I don't know about you, but what I have to offer God is nothing more, nothing better than a clay jar. Our durability is fragile. Our dependability is temporary. Our commitments are broken as easily as you break a piece of pottery. 
It's almost as if God made a mistake, isn't it? Placing such a priceless treasure in such a common container. Paul was quick to say, but God didn't make a mistake. Look at this next part of verse 7. Look how he words it. We have this treasure in jars of clay, and here's the reason. So that, and get ready to mark this, so that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I want to underline that. Here's the reason that this treasure is in jars of clay. So that this all-surpassing power, it might be evident that it's from God and not from us. The Living Bible translates it this way. Everyone can see that the glorious power within must be from God and it's not our own. I mean, have you ever gone to a, to a jewelry store and bought a diamond? I haven't done that a lot, but I have done that. And when you go to a jewelry store and buy a diamond, they don't lay it down among other diamonds. They take that diamond and they put it against a black cloth so that the diamond will show for what it is. You know why God puts His power in clay jars? So that His power will be more evident. It's all through the Scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. It's all through the Scriptures. Think about the biblical history in your mind for a moment. Just a few stories that remind you how it all works in God's sight. Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. Humanly, it was impossible for them to have a child. But God poured His power into the clay jars and Isaac was born. Moses was 80 years old. He was a simple shepherd. But God poured His power in the clay jar And he led the exodus, leading millions of people out of slavery. Joshua had a ragtag army, and they started marching around the walls of Jericho, and and God poured his power into the clay jar called Joshua, and the walls came tumbling down. David faced Goliath, a, a young teenager facing a giant of a man. And God poured his power into the clay jar, and the giant fell. You know why God did it that way? Because when God intervened, everybody stood back and said, that could only be God. And He wants to do that in your life. And He wants to do that in our church. He wants to do something in your life as a clay jar where people look at you and say, that can only be God. He said, Pastor, I just feel so inadequate. I just feel so, I just feel like I don't have a whole lot to offer God. Can I tell you, that's exactly what he's looking for? For we have this power. Paul, Paul didn't say we have power. He said we have this power in clay jars. It's not that we have it. It's not that it comes from us. But we have this power in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And so I've got an unusual assignment for you for this message today. Um, Today, if you really try to put this into practice, you might need to go to Walmart or to Hobby Lobby, somewhere like that. I want to encourage you today, tomorrow, sometime this week, stop by somewhere. Maybe you already have one at your house, but I want to encourage you to get an empty clay pot, just a small one. Now, don't decorate it, ladies. Don't put little flowers on it and all that kind of thing. Don't decorate it. Just an empty, plain clay pot. 
Second thing is, don't put anything in it. Now, it could be this big clay pot. It could be this big clay. It doesn't matter the size. Just get an empty clay pot. Then I want you to put that empty clay pot that's undecorated, that does not have anything in it. I want you to put it somewhere where people will see it, and most importantly, where you will see it. It might be on your desk at your office. It might be in your locker at school. Uh, It might be on your kitchen cabinet. But just put it somewhere where you will see it and others will see it. And eventually, for example, if you put it in your office on your desk, people are coming in and out of your office, and eventually they'll notice it's not a pencil holder. There's no pencils in it. They'll notice there's nothing in it, and there's an empty clay pot there, and after about a week or two, they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, why do you have an empty clay pot on your desk? And then you can say to them, it's because I need to be reminded that I am nothing more than a container. Just a container. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We are containers. And the reason that we get overwhelmed sometimes with problems is that we, we, we're looking at the jar rather than the power and the treasure within the jar. And so I've got something to write down for you. I ask you to write two statements. You can either write it down or you can tweet it out or both. Here's the statements. If I could summarize this text and this lesson, it would be this. We are not very strong, but the one who lives in us is. We are not very strong, but the one who lives in us is. Statement number two. I like this one. Statement number two. I don't have a lot to offer God, but he has a lot to offer me. Say it again. I don't have a lot to offer God. He has a lot to offer me. I'm just a clay pot. I'm just a clay jar. But there is a treasure within that clay jar. And that treasure has a name, and his name is Jesus. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes before we leave. First of all, I need to ask you, sir, up in the balcony, ma'am, down the lower floor, do you have that treasure? Do you know that treasure? Is Jesus living inside you? You're just a clay jar without it. Without Jesus living inside you, you are just a clay jar. Would you come today and accept Christ as your Savior, recognize that He died on the cross for your sins so that He could come live within you? So you can know God personally, have a relationship with Him. But Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you feel the emptiness that I feel? Would you come into my heart and my life and be my Lord and Savior? God, I have nothing to offer you. I am like a cheap, empty clay jar. I desperately need what you have to offer. Today would be the day when you need to do that. You need to come by faith, trusting that Christ will indeed come into your heart and life. Others of you, perhaps during this invitation, this is your time to get on the altar before the Lord and just on your face before Him say, God, that which I once treasured has lost its luster. I, I want to ask you to fill me again your spirit, with your power, with your joy, with your peace. I want to ask you to fill me again. Take this clay jar. 
Use it for your glory. However God speaks to you today, I want to encourage you to come to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm grateful for the word, for what it said to me, how it has helped me, and I pray you'd use it to help others. May we respond to the leadership of your Holy Spirit. May the Spirit have the freedom to move in our hearts and our lives and in our church this morning. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.